You're listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg-Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. Well, good morning. Like Matt said, my name is John Robinson. It's, uh, it's good to be with you this morning. Um, grateful that you are spending your morning with us. Um, we're truly grateful that you would uh, even come on a, on a holiday morning as of this morning for Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all of you moms. We are, we are grateful for you, uh, for your love, your kindness. Uh, we do love you. We appreciate you. What you have heard this morning, the words, the songs, are all in light of who Jesus is. He's our Savior. He's our brother. He's our friend. He is all of those things uh, because that's who he is. And he has also done uh, something even far greater. He has lived a perfect life. He has died the death we deserved. He was raised to life, beating sin and death. We believe this to be true. We believe also that this is the good news for us. And that it changes everything about who we are and how we live. As Matt said, we are continuing in our journey through the book of Acts. Uh, We are in the 14th chapter of Acts. We're tracing uh, to this point a journey. Uh, We've been seeing a duo, Paul and Barnabas, who've been set apart for the work that God has for them uh, in chapter 13, namely to preach the gospel to the unbelieving Gentiles, to Gentiles. Um, And so, as we saw last week, we saw this duo of Paul and Barnabas start in Antioch of Syria. They go down to Seleucia, down to the island of Cyprus. They go up to Pamphos, modern-day Turkey, uh, in Perga, and from Perga to the region of Galatia, where we get the book of Galatians, All right, uh, where they reach Antioch, Pisidia, and after seeing Gentiles come to faith uh, there in Antioch, Pisidia, uh, they quickly are chased out of town by the unbelieving Jews who began to stir up the people against Paul and Barnabas. And as we find them here in chapter 14 of the book of Acts, they are entering and reaching Iconium, a town about 85 miles east of Antioch, Pisidia. And so we find ourselves there this morning. So let's turn now to this book that we love, chapter 14 in the book of Acts. That'll be on page 923 if you're following along in those black hardback covered Bibles. Let's read now. Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and stone them, they learned of it and they fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Laconia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet He was crippled from birth, and he had never walked. 
He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Laconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, for he was the chief speaker. And the priests of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garland to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without a witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness even though with these words they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifices to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered back into the city. On the next day, he went with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city, and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, and to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed." Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when he had spoken the word at Perga, they went down to Atalia, And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived, they gathered the church together. They declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Almighty and eternal God, truly you are worthy of praise. Your power and might lay low the proud and raise up the humble. You call the lame to walk and the blind to see. You have given us your word as a strong foundation to stand on. Father, strengthen our feet to stand on that. You have revealed your gospel to us. Now, Father, open our eyes to behold its beauty. Through the power of your Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. Paul and Barnabas are having a time, aren't they? Look at these last two chapters. We've seen uh, in this chapter and and in the last that uh, there's this back and forth, both highs and lows. In one verse, we see many coming to faith and great things are happening. And then subsequent verses, we see persecution. And life is like that, isn't it? 
And one moment things can be going really well, and then the next moment all of that changes. Christians live in this dichotomy. We live in this tension that Paul and Barnabas are experiencing themselves. They're being obedient to God's call on their life. They are they were set apart in, verse, in chapter 13, verse 2. They're set apart for this work to go and preach the gospel to the Gentiles. This work, our work as Christians, is a work that is filled with both rejection and rejoicing. So we'll look at those two things together this morning in our time together. Rejection. So first, there is rejection. And I'll be uh, one of the first to admit that the message of Christianity is a hard one. It is the best news in the world, but it is preceded by the worst news in the world. At its core, the message of the gospel is this, that we need to acknowledge not only that there's something wrong with us, but that we are sinful, that the sin that exists in us is damnable, and that there is nothing you can do to save yourself from it. It's like hearing those three ground-shattering words, you have cancer. When we found out my mother had cancer, it was one of the hardest days in my family's life. You feel helpless. There's nothing you can do. Now, there are myths out there about drinking a gallon of, uh, of carrot juice to get rid of the cancer or staying away from this or that. But the reality is, in that moment, the cancer exists. It's in there, and it can be devastating if you don't deal with it. And there was nothing I could do. There was nothing my dad could do. My siblings couldn't do anything to get rid of it. We all love my mom. Uh, she holds our family together so well. We love her dearly. But we had to, in that moment, rely on someone outside of ourselves who could remove the cancer from her body. The message that my mom received was, was devastating. Um, I have such respect for doctors uh, who, who have to have these kind of conversations daily, if not multiple times a day. It's a hard message to, to, to tell someone, but they convey that message because they care. They desire people's good. They desire their flourishing. They want them to live, and that's why most doctors and nurses do what they do, because they care for people. I hear the pay isn't bad, but they care for people. They do what they do because they, they truly do care, and in order for this doctor to truly care for my mom, he had to give her some really bad news. The Christian message is similar. Paul's message here in Antioch and Crete and Paphos and, and uh, Perga and, and Antioch and Pisidia was the same. It came with devastating words. You have sin. But then he gives them the greatest hope he could ever give them. He gives them a cure that... that is 100% effective all the time and eternal. He says this, and this is quoting Paul from Ephesians 2, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. 
By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved by faith. And this is not your own doing. This is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works with which God prepared beforehand so that we might walk in them. This is incredible news. But it's preceded by terrible news. And to give you good news, um, my mother's surgery was successful. I don't want to leave you hanging on that and asking me like afterwards, like, what's going on? How's your mom? Um, she was here a couple weeks ago. Uh, surgery was successful, and by the grace of God, she's remained cancer-free to this day. Um, I love you, Mom, if you're watching. Happy Mother's Day. But our message as Christians, our message is a hard message. My friends, it is the greatest message in the world. Believe that. Trust that. This is the message that Paul and Barnabas would be telling here in Iconium. So look with me in verse 1. First, we see rejection. We see a rejection of the message. Paul has this custom that he repeats when he goes into a new city. He goes first to the Jews. He goes to the synagogue. It says here in verse 1, When they entered Iconium, they entered together, and they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now we could just assume that this was maybe Paul's missional tactic, right? He's a, he's a good strategist. He has some good strategery, to quote our former president. But there's a conflict here in what he's been called to and what he is doing. He's called to the Gentiles. In chapter 9, verse 5, Paul is set apart for the ministry of the Gentiles. So why does he continue to go to the Jewish synagogue first? We've seen even in chapter 13 that, yes, this method has produced some fruit, but along with the fruit of seeing Jews come to believe and trust in Jesus as the Messiah, it has also received from that uh, some persecution. It doesn't always go well. People are stirred up against Paul and Barnabas. If Paul was just trying to be strategic, it would have been wise for him to just avoid the synagogues and go straight to the Gentiles. But the message of Christ as Savior is not always about strategy. It is primarily that about love. Love will make you do some crazy things. Some of you guys know this. You became mothers because of crazy things that men did. People have built monuments because of love. People have gone to war because of love. Paul continues to go back to the Jewish synagogues. He does this because Paul deeply loves and desires for his people, the Jewish people, to know that the Messiah has come. The fulfillment of everything that they believed in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We see this in Romans 9, verses 1 through 5. Paul says this, he says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit 
that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed and forever. Amen. This is his message. This is Paul's heart here. But in Paul's heart, we also see God's heart in the gospel. And it should be our heart for a lost and dying world. We know that there will be rejection. Many people will reject the message, but we also know that this message is the hope for all of mankind. The message of God is the saving work of Jesus Christ. And here we see in verse 1 the impact of that message on the people of Iconium, that many people came to believe, both Jews and Greeks. So friends, May we be encouraged through the word of God this morning not to give up on people. Not to give up on those you love, your friends, your families, your neighbors. Pray that they will come to know and believe the gospel. We don't give up on people. We don't write people off because God never gave up on us to the degree in which that he sent his one and only son to become flesh, to take the cross, to beat sin and death, and not only for the Jews, but also the Gentiles. In verse 3, Paul and Barnabas remain for a long time discipling those Gentiles and Jews who came to faith. This is in uh, stark contrast to verse 2, where the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers, Strategically, it would be wise for Paul and Barnabas maybe to move on at that point, but they remained. They remained. But they hear eventually, later in this first section, down in verses 5 and 6, that an attempt was made by the Jews and Gentiles, the unbelieving Jews and Gentiles, and their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them. There was an assassination attempt that they got wind of. And so they after discipling those uh, in Lyconium, they move on to the next city. They go about 30 miles away to a town called Lystra. And in Lystra, here with, look with me now in verse 8. Now in Lystra, they come in and they are preaching at the gates, the city gates where the leaders of the town would be, where people would also be uh, there to receive alms. And they see this man, they see this um, this man sitting at the gates. And just to, so you know a little bit about Lystra, Lystra is a very pagan city. We see them at the gates because there was no Jewish synagogue in Lystra. There was only a temple to uh, the Greek god Zeus. So we know that this is a pagan area. And there was sitting at this gate, at the entrance of this gate, a man uh, who listened intently to what Paul and Barnabas were saying. And what we see here in this passage is this man um, started to believe and Paul could see in this man his belief. And he tells him, he commands him, stand up and walk. This man had never walked before in his life. His, His legs were, in essence, useless to him. 
we see similar things happen in the ministry of Jesus Christ in Matthew 9-8 where he tells the lame man to stand up and walk. He first forgives his sins, but then he tells him to stand and walk. We see this in Peter's ministry even earlier on here in the book of Acts in Acts 3-6. He tells the man to stand and walk. Gold and silver I don't have for you, but what I do have I will give you. Stand, rise, and walk. And so we see a consistency in the message of the gospel here, even in Paul's ministry into the town of Lystra. The crowds in this pagan city were listening, and they see what happens. They see this man who, no doubt, they would pass by every day at the city gates. They would know him, many who probably gave alms to him. And they see him standing and walking about now. And the crowd, the city, goes bananas. Yeah. They took and they looked at, his, at, at this at, at face value, though. They were incredibly excited. But what they thought happened here was that the Greek gods that they worship had come down and become human form. See, there was a legend in this city that two Greek gods previously had come to the city, passed through the town, and was, were ignored by the townspeople. And so these Greek gods became angry and sent a flood to wipe out the town, leaving only one house to tell the story. So the people of Lystra decided they weren't going to let this happen again. We're not going to ignore these gods come to be made flesh again. And so they began to worship Paul and Barnabas. But Paul and Barnabas reject this worship. They reject it because they understood who they were. As they said here in 15, Why are you doing this? We are also men of like nature with you. We are men. And they also knew who God was. Revealed himself in the person and work of Jesus Christ. You want to see God become man? We'll show you God become man. His name is Jesus. And he came not just to heal this man and let him walk, but he came to free you from sin, from, to take you from, from prisoners to freed people, to take you from a kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his glorious son, to take you literally from death until life. And this was their message to the people of Lystra. And they didn't, have, they didn't want to do, have anything to do with it. Instead, they worshipped Paul and Barnabas. They were going to sacrifice a cow to him, them. They, they missed the mark on their worship. They hit a ceiling in their worship. They shot their shot way too early. They were satisfied with their worship expiring on created things and not the creator God. And so Paul and Barnabas tear their clothes and lament because they knew that these people were going to miss out on the good news of the gospel. They pleaded with them, but they were so, so enticed by what they had believed and by these other false gods and, and religion that they could barely be restrained, the text tells us. The people then would not be happy or excited or supportive of the rejection of this worship. In fact, we go on to find out, starting here in verse 19, that not only were they upset, but uh, there was this uh, uh, backlog of very upset people coming to meet them. So we'll look at, even now, the rejection of the messengers. 
We see here that men, Jews from, from Antioch, right? Antioch, Pisidia, and, and Iconium were coming. They came to Lystra. Now, just so you know, Antioch, Pisidia was uh, 185 miles away at this point. And Iconium was 85 miles away at this point. And so they come to, and they whip up the, the people of Lystra into a frenzy. They take stones and they, they drag Paul, they stone him and they drag him out of the city to the point where they believed that he was dead. How badly do you have to look to assume by an angry mob that has just come about 200 miles to be dead? How bad do you have to look for this angry mob to look at you and go, well, it was worth the trip, at least he's dead. I'm guessing you need to look pretty messed up. It's not confirmed here in our text, but this is a major beating uh, that Paul receives. In his letter to the Galatians, this region in which he uh, is currently here in chapters 13 and 14, he writes to them about the suffering that he received. And he mentions in the letter that he is writing in larger letters, right? that his text was larger. Some commentators say that this was because of this beating that he received here in Lystra resulted in long-term damage to Paul's vision. So he needed to write larger letters so that he could read what he was um, saying. Paul was beat to the point of death. And yet what we see here is that when the brothers came around, he rose up and he heads back into the city of Lystra. Like, like Rocky Balboa in the, in the 14th round with Apollo Creed, like the man should be down, he should be done, right? And much like the Philly Phenom, Paul returns to the city and then he moves on to the next opponent over in Derby. And by the grace of God, they make many disciples there in Derby. Paul got up, he went back to work. And after being in Derby for a time, it says, you know, Paul, Paul and Barnabas are like, you know what, that was really good, let's run it back. Let's not escape here, let's not go back to Antioch of Syria, which was actually geographically closer to Derby than anywhere else that they had been. Instead of going just a short distance to uh, where the church was in Antioch of Syria, Paul says, let's run it back. Let's go. They returned to Lystra, where he was just stoned. They returned to Iconium, where there were angry people, a mob after them. They went to Antioch of Pisidia. Again, more angry mob. The one that went 185 miles to stone him. And then he goes to Pamphylia and Perga. And they made their way back through this region to Antioch of Syria, where they had to tell and rejoice in what God had done. Yet the rejoicing doesn't just come here at the end, friends. Although that's where a lot of the rejoicing will come for the Christian, we'll be able to look back and see the hand of God through our lives. There is much rejoicing even in the middle of the rejection. And so let's look at rejoicing as we close. Amidst the rejection, there is rejoicing. Amidst rejection, there is rejoicing. This is not natural, by the way. This is not natural. It's not easy to rejoice in the midst of rejection. Many of us 
may have even seen someone do this well, and it stands out to us in our memories, in our minds, in our hearts. We've seen people who have been maybe given fatal diagnoses who are, or who suffer from chronic pain. And we've seen their own suffering and how they've seen that and have explained it even as a gift from God. That is not normative in our world. Because suffering is hard. It's not something that we want. We avoid suffering as much as possible. Rejection is hard. It's not something we desire. Suffering, rejection, sickness, and death, they're wrong. Like, there's something wrong about them. You know this. You, you feel this. right? There's something wrong about them. When we were created, and we, it, it explains the wrongness when we look back. When we were created, uh, we were not created for death. We were not created for sickness. We were not created for suffering. This is why uh, we see these things as hard and difficult and we, we try to avoid them because we know deep down in who we are and how we've been created that these things are, are wrong. This is why Jesus, when he sees Lazarus dead and buried, he weeps. There's something wrong about what has happened here. Yet, when God gives us the strength to endure suffering, persevere through rejection, and see beyond death to a life that is eternal and glorious and free from these things, we can understand what the writer of Hebrews says when he wrote of Jesus in chapter 12, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Or as Paul later writes in 1 Corinthians 15, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Because for the Christian, there will be suffering. Paul even tells the church here in verse 22, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. There will be rejection. There will be death. Some of our deaths may not even be from disease or age or accident. They may even come from persecution. Through it all, may we see, though, that God is still at work in the midst of this rejection and suffering. That God is still at work saving sinners by His grace. Even amidst the immense amounts of rejection here in chapter 14, we must see that there are things to rejoice over. We see at the end of the chapter how they were able to go back and rejoice. So let's look and see where we can rejoice in the midst of rejection. There's a need to rejoice because people came to faith. In verse 1, a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. A great number of Jews and Greeks believed. In verse 21, they made many disciples in Derby. May we always rejoice when people are saved. When God saves someone's soul, that is, that is a, there's a need for us to rejoice. Not just in our hearts, with our mouths, with our hands. Because someone has literally gone from death to life, from one kingdom to another. Slaves have become freed people. We need to rejoice because people believe. 
There is a, also a need to rejoice because God still works miracles. In verse 3, we see here that, that God granted signs and wonders to be done at their hand. In verses 9 and 10, seeing that he had faith to be made well, Paul tells him to walk. People are being miraculously healed. The bondage of addiction is being broken. People are choosing life over death. God still works miracles in our day. And we should rejoice. There's a need to rejoice when God's people speak boldly amidst persecution and rejection. Verse 15, Paul and Barnabas are rejected uh, they, they rejected being worshipped and being made much of. We need to rejoice because there are those around the world who are preaching the gospel in places where their lives are on the line for it. Rejoice, church, because God is at work around the world. People are speaking boldly the message of the gospel. There's a need to rejoice in God's mission continuing. Verse 20, Paul didn't die. And then he got up, and the next day he you know, did a small marathon over to Derby. Verse 22 and 23, there was strengthening of the disciples. There was an establishment of elders. Verse 26, they accomplished their mission. 27, God opened the doors to the Gentiles. God is sustaining men and women around the world to do his work every moment of every day. Churches are being planted in record numbers. Elders are being installed. The word of God is being translated into languages that has never been translated into before. People are hearing the gospel for the first time in closed off countries. Rejoice, church, because God's mission continues. There's much to rejoice over, even in the midst of rejection. Beloved, as you live lives of faithful presence in this world, don't be surprised when people reject the message of God. And don't be surprised when they reject the messenger. But do be prayerful. Be expectant. Expect God to work. Be persistent. Don't give up on people. Be humble and faithful. Rejoice often. Look for the fingerprints of God on your world and join him in that. Join him in that. Amidst the rejection, rejoice. Let's pray. Father, truly, you are worthy of all of our rejoicing and all of our praise. You are the cause of all of our rejoicing and praise. For you have made in your body, O Christ, a people who were once not your people. So bind us together as we live on mission with you, by your spirit, with your church, for the good of our world, as a blessing to your body, the church, and to your glory, now and forever we ask. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.